the Maroon Weekly, um, perhaps the Maroon Monthly now, but my name is Isaac Krakoka. Hey guys, I'm Rom. Hello, I'm Beza. And we will be taking you through the first few weeks of life here on UChicago's campus. Okay, so... Uh, you know, things have not been normal, to say the least. How have your guys' first four weeks been? I don't know. Okay, for me, it feels like you're back, but we're not really back, if that makes sense. Like, everyone's, no, I feel that. A lot of... Uh, yeah. Well, okay, not everybody's back. Some people aren't back, but it just feels so hollow. It's just, like people just walking around, meandering. Not really. It just doesn't really feel like college right now. Um, I was actually talking to one of my friends yesterday, and he was like, yeah, I don't feel like a U Chicago student at all. I just feel like a Khan Academy student. Uh, <laughs> because he's not even on campus. I think, at least for the people who are on campus, there's that sense of connection with a U Chicago identity. But for everybody else, it's it's just like, yeah, I'm just taking online classes and chilling at home. I don't know. I think hollow is the best way to describe it. That's what I would say. Yeah, I hear I don't know about you guys, but I I just joined second year and I feel like this is the first time I actually feel like a U Chicago student. <laughs> and the fact that I don't have to go to classes has um yeah, and the fact that I don't have to go to classes um has made uh, has saved me so much time and I don't know how I would have survived if it wasn't in person because I simply do not have the time to move around. Dang, I actually kind of identify with uh with Rom's interpretation of campus, I am definitely feeling some sort of way now that everything's online. Uh, I definitely miss, you know, going to coffee shops and actually being in lecture. Um, I don't think it's the same from my desk in my apartment's bedroom, um, but we're doing doing our best. Anyways, we have a few stories and talking points to go over with you guys today. Uh, we'll touch on the university's experience with the uh, the virus and COVID-19 as a whole, and we will discuss some of the events that have happened around UChicago concerning the 2020 presidential election and our reactions to what's going on in both of those worlds. So, Ram, you've got a piece on our most recent status update about the cases, yes? Yeah, so in a, an article written by Lukian Kling, um, he reported that 37 new cases were recorded in this past fourth week uh, in terms of how many, how many COVID cases there are, uh, there have been reported on campus. Um, this po- the positivity rate for on-campus students is, or sorry, for the positivity rate for in-housing students has been lower than in the past few weeks, which is a good sign. But the CDC has actually recently changed what the definition of a close contact is. So before, before a close contact was kind of just a person who was within six feet of, an, of another infected person for 15 consecutive minutes. But now they changed that definition to be cumulative. So if you're hanging around an infected person for like, 50, for like seven minutes and then you go and take a break and then you happen to hang out around that same person again for another eight minutes after that, then that would count as being a close contact. Um, and then in terms of what UCARE is doing, UCARE has actually received 
about 43 reports this week, which is a decrease from last week's 79 reports. So I'm wondering, what do you, what have you guys been hearing about UCARE? Like, has it been working well? Because I've definitely been hearing some things uh, uh, about how that system is operating. You know, f- you know, for me, um, I haven't hold heard a whole lot of negative about UCARE. Um, I definitely have heard it being utilized, but if I don't hear anything bad, that's a good thing, right? Like, hopefully, uh, yeah, for sure, yeah, yeah. Hopefully, people that- are you know um, using it appropriately and with their best judgment and all that. But I think it's a good system, and I think it's a system that holds us all all, all accountable. So, no, yeah, a hundred percent. I agree with that. The it's just really hard sometimes to actually do a report when you have so few details because yeah it's just it's just kind of it's just kind of like being stuck in between an unstoppable force and an immovable object because you you obviously would want to do all this reporting uh of the things that are happening around campus but sometimes you don't have all the details but then at the right, same time right. you care can't do anything if it doesn't have all the details so it's just kind of it's just kind of a a difficult situation sometimes but yes i i agree that it is a a very good system and people should be using it more because i mean i i keep on hearing things about snitching uh but this is not snitching this is kind of like a public health situation. yeah this isn't so. this isn't narking on your friends i mean if <laughs> yes. you if you see some booth um, students all hanging out together you should probably report that you know uh, if, speaking, speaking, speaking of, of we'll touch on that uh, we'll touch on that here in a second <laughs> Uh, Beza, what did, have you heard anything about the the reporting program? Um, yeah, I, I think it's like you said, Isaac. I haven't heard anything bad about it. I'm I'm actually a huge advocate of UCARE because, like, personally, after I saw the number of cases that we had on campus, um, I am so I'm I live on off campus. So after I heard that there are 37 new cases, I simply just refused to go past 55th. <laughs> Um, yeah, I hear that. And, uh, so I, I think this is the one of the best ways that we can, uh, you know, keep that number on the low. I agree. All right. Uh, speaking of off-campus living, um, some of our students, unfortunately, uh, were not as fortunate as Ram, Bez, and I to be able to come back to campus. So, Beza, you've got a story on how some of our students are adapting to online learning, yeah? Yeah. Um, so there are like a bunch of students um, living, I guess they are living on campus, um, but also who are living in other time zones. We have students from India, we have students from Iceland, um, and also in other, uh, in other parts of the U.S., um, and the, the, the main theme amongst all these students is that how much the university is not doing in terms of providing them with the resources to connect with one another for students who are sort of close to each other. Like we have like a lot of students in Hong Kong or in other areas also, um, but there are no facilities or no ways for these students to connect with each other. Um, and a lot of students feel like uh, they could have used that. They it might have brought some sort of resemblance to what uh, actually living on campus would have been like. Uh, But nevertheless, uh, students are adapting. And the way they're adapting is that uh, some students came up with a lot of, uh, with some Google Sheet forms to fill out so that um, 
there's like a simulation of roommates. People get assigned to doubles or suites or apartments. Um, and this is still all online, but they still get to connect and sometimes even run a, a study Zoom sessions. Uh, but still, they, um, they strongly encourage the university to stop sending them random emails about how the reg just turned 50 years old um, <laughs> and instead uh, sort of try to address the problem of these students not feeling like they're on campus or that they don't have access to certain facilities just because of time difference. Right, yeah, I, I, I can imagine how, how much more difficult that's got to be for, for some of my friends, at least, that I know um, are still overseas. I can't speak exactly to their experience um but i do know that i mean it it can't be easy and for example one of my professors in my civ class um our class starts at one o'clock chicago time um and he is lecturing at three o'clock in the morning his time so um obviously i'm very grateful for my professor's dedication to his craft but um, having a lecture from three to four thirty in the morning has got to be absolutely mentally draining for for all of our professors and students. And so, um, I do wish the That's university rough. could do a little a little better of a job in fostering some sort of community for international students. I don't know what those steps would be, but I I, I, I definitely agree, and I see see where they're coming from. That is, yeah, three to four thirty. That is rough. Yeah. I can't even do from eight a.m. to nine a.m. Right. And in addition to closures of um, in-person classes, in some cases, a lot of the businesses in Hyde Park have also obviously been affected by the pandemic. And two that come to mind are some of our off-campus bookstores, the uh, Powell Bookstore and the Seminary Co-op and Fifty Seventh Street Books. And specifically, uh, Powell and the Seminary Co-op, while they are both in business, generate most of their revenue currently through online ordering. Um, And, you know, that makes sense with the pandemic going on. But the problem with that is these bookstores rely a lot on the atmosphere of browsing for books in general, not necessarily just from college students searching for textbooks, but the nostalgia and you know, actual event of going to a bookstore in person that brings a whole lot of of revenue and popularity and business to to these these bookstores uh, themselves. And so, since the beginning of the pandemic, the American Booksellers Association reported that more than one independent bookstore has closed each week since the pandemic's beginning. Um, and we're obviously very fortunate that Powell and the Co-op offer curbside pickup. But at least I definitely miss being able to walk in and browse for books and just kind of hang out and look and see what they've got. So um, how have your guys' book buying experience uh, been? I I ordered all of my textbooks for spring or for fall online and picked them up from the seminary co-op instead of um, Barnes & Noble, support your local small business. Um, But yeah, I definitely miss being able to hang out in Powell. Oh, yeah, I feel that. Um, I usually get my books from the U Chicago bookstore, and I just order them online and pick them up uh, at the, pick them up like in the bookstore. Uh, but it's interesting because there's a lot of there's a lot of controversy surrounding the idea of whether 
analog bookstores are just going to disappear because of coronavirus or if they will actually thrive because of coronavirus. Because the two schools of thought that I've heard are basically, you know, people are getting so used to ordering online and just having it delivered to them now that once coronavirus is over, they're just going to keep on doing that. Or, and this is the one that I subscribe to, uh, because people are so starved of that, like, like you said, Isaac, that feeling of like, of like the, the experience of going to a bookstore, not necessarily just like going to buy a book, but going to browse and communicate with other people and kind of figure out what, what you're interested in. Uh, based on your conversations with those people missing that because of coronavirus may lead to an in- increased foot traffic in analog bookstores so i'm interested to know what you guys think about that and and how you think it'll shape uh it'll shape what bookstores look like in the future i don't know about facilitating communication though i mean how 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 much communication exactly happens in bookstores i mean i I, maybe it's because of my perception of bookstores i bookstores are just for me like grocery stores where i just go in i I mean bookstores are much nicer obviously because they're just new books with like amazing covers so like i get to explore but other than that it's not exactly a place i would go to to uh you know mingle with people um and I don't know, I can I, I and I can do the same exact thing from the comfort of my home. Um so yeah, I'm not I'm not too pressed about all the bookstores shutting down to be honest with you, other than the fact that obviously, you know, these small businesses Jeez. should not close down and everything. Jeez, okay. Uh <laughs> I mean, yeah. I don't know. Uh it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. So um yeah, I guess I guess all we can do is just continue to support our small businesses. Um, we'll all have to buy books again in the in the winter, and books are not cheap. So, take your money to these bookstores and keep them in business until the pandemic ends. And just to round out our coverage of the coronavirus pandemic through the first four weeks on campus, about two weeks ago, students at Booth went to a public event, as we had mentioned a little bit earlier in this in this episode in which some individuals from that group tested positive for COVID-19. And over 100 MBA students connected to this gathering are required to quarantine for at least two weeks. Booth announced that this closure was more precautionary to prevent the spread of of COVID-19 more than anything else, um, but made this decision after consultation with uh, the University of Chicago Medical Center. Um, Perhaps you guys know some of these students in Booth. I don't, but... When I read that email, um, I don't know, it was kind of embarrassing. I feel like the undergraduate students have been doing a pretty decent job at limiting big social gatherings. Obviously, I can't speak for everyone that lives off campus, but I know the, the University of Chicago has been doing a great job of maintaining COVID protocol for on-campus housing and on-campus living. So what do you guys think about this this story or this leak? I think it's I think it's crazy. No, definitely. I mean... I'm an RA right now, and I've kind of been noticing what all the first years are doing. Having your senior year disrupted by COVID and then having your freshman year of college disrupted and still following COVID guidelines, and then having this having this contrast of, of kids who are older than you doing all this dumb stuff is just, it's kind of ridiculous. And the undergrads have kind of been going pretty hard on... Uh, 
on the boots on the boot students uh, on the meme pages, and they've just <laughs> they've been going really hard on them. It's it's been very funny to watch, and deservedly so. Yeah, I noticed that too, Beza. What do you think about this? Um, like the fir- the the fir- my first reaction when I saw the email was like, I am not surprised, you know. Uh, but then I'm like, wait, why am I not surprised though? Is it just like because of like the stereotypes <laughs> yeah. associated with you know the boot school students, uh, you know your most basic econ bros, go to this school, go to that school, um, and. I can't say it's because they're unaware or they're just, they just don't care. Um, yeah. Love, well, I, I would love to hear um, from any of those students who participated in that gathering, though. I as well. What their thoughts as well as. All right. Well, uh, that kind of rounds out our coverage of the coronavirus pandemic. We've got a few, few talking points concerning the the upcoming election the big one here in november so rom do you want to get us started off with an article recapping the past four years of the trump presidency and how some of his policies have affected you chicago students yeah definitely an article written by olivia chicote described the different things that the trump administration has done or events that have occurred during the trump administration and the university's response to them So one of the big things was immigration. Uh, Just in July, I'm sure you guys remember, international students enrolled in online classes could not stay in the country, according to one of Trump's policies, uh, which was immediately protested and taken back after a slew of colleges, including UChicago, contended with it. Here's what White House Press Secretary Kayleigh McEnany had to say about the issue. I think the policy speaks for itself. You know, you don't get a visa for taking online classes from, let's say, University of Phoenix. Uh, So why would you if you were just taking online classes generally? Um, And I would note with regard to Harvard and MIT suing over this, and all due respect to my former alma mater, uh, perhaps the better lawsuit would be coming from students who have to pay full tuition uh, with no access to in-person classes to attend. Uh, And then in terms of Title IX, the Secretary of Education, Betsy DeVos, changed Title IX policy in May 2020 to increase the rights of a person accused of sexual misconduct. And Provost Lee mentioned in August that this policy would only apply to sexual harassment claims that occur within the university's on and off campus education programs or activities, but that hearings related to sexual misconduct that do not constitute sexual harassment would largely be unchanged. And then, of course, the Black Lives Matter protests Uh, In the midst of the protests that occurred and are still occurring after the death of George Floyd, the university affirmed its commitment to diversity and inclusion in multiple emails uh, over the past few months. So, yeah, I'm I'm interested to hear what you guys think about how the university has responded to these different things. And if you think that has shaped people's perception of what the 2020 election could look like. I can't speak to a whole lot of the points. Um, I was pretty happy to see their response to uh, some of the Black Lives Matter movements uh, concerning diversity and inclusion. I do think there's always more to be done, though. And so I will continue to support the Black Lives Matter movement, and I hope the university will be responding to a lot of the students' pleas. We do have, you know, a couple movements going on on campus related to, to this with our, our Care Not Cops coverage over the past couple months as one of the main uh, responses to police brutality in the United States. And so I'm looking 
forward to seeing how the university entertains these discussions going forward, not just in the past four months when, you know, they have to respond to these. Otherwise, they are, you know, a very evil school if they don't acknowledge the social injustice in the United States. I'm excited and interested to see how the university will be responding next year, you know, in two years and five years. Obviously, I don't know the answer right now, but I hope this is a sustained um, response to to tragedy in the United States, not just a knee-jerk reaction. I, I personally think the university can do a lot a bit more in terms of taking a strong stance. Right, uh, I agree. For example, like as an international student, um, I was going to be affected by the ruling that was about to be implemented in right. July in right. terms of uh, all that happened then. And the university did join an amicus brief, but a lot of that would not have happened if it was not initiated by Harvard and MIT. And I felt like the Chicago was just free riding off of that. They didn't even like... Uh, joined the suits outright. They they just joined the Amicus Brief, which is not quite the same. And I guess that's okay. But yeah, it, it, it's just, it's it's not like at the front and center, but I guess it, it does what it can and uh, it works until now. <laughs> Segwaying to some more election coverage. On October 16th, journalist Jeff Horowitz of the Wall Street Journal and NBC uh, talked with the Harris School of Public Policy on the presidential race and how public opinion could impact its outcome. He opened this discussion by looking at the election outcomes in 2016. He said that the, uh, the impact of role swing states such as Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania should not be understated in the outcome of the 2016 election. These three states flipped from blue to red in 2016. And, you know, this is obviously an area that Joe Biden needs to concentrate some of his campaigning. For the 2020 election, uh, Horowitz and his team estimate that about 61% of white men without a college degree are still projected to vote for Donald Trump in 2016. So say what you want about diversity and inclusion, but this is an overwhelming majority of a certain demographic of the United States that will be voting for Donald Trump. Biden is currently up 11 points, according to NBC's polls. However, Horowitz warns that the poll results are just a snapshot in time and that the margin is razor thin and that it can still narrow drastically. So obviously, continue to get out the vote and encourage your friends and family members to vote, especially young people. He said that the younger voters will be the catalyst in this election, even though Joe Biden is not doing super amazingly with 18 to 34-year-old voters. Even though he is winning by a huge margin right now, Horowitz believes that this is mainly a response to Donald Trump, not these voters being pro-Biden. He believes that this is also a problem for Republicans because they have a difficult time appealing to this demographic of Americans, these 18 to 34-year-olds, on issues such as student loan debt and climate change. So what have you guys heard about voting on campus? I know with COVID precautions, uh, I believe that uh, some organizations and some events have been canceled and postponed. But if you haven't heard anything about that, what's your plan for voting? Have you voted? Are you registered? I have requested my absentee ballot. I am checking my mailbox every day. I haven't gotten it yet, but once I do, I will get it mailed and stamped by the presidential election, which is the law in Ohio. So what have you guys heard? 
Well, I mean, Uchai Boats has been going pretty hard in terms of the advertising. Basically, everywhere across the Midway, I just see signs, vote early, not often. Yeah. Uh, speaking of yeah. which, I actually did get my absentee ballot for Colorado, but I did get two ballots because I requested one from the county clerk's office. And then my parents also got one that they sent to me. But I did not commit voter fraud. I ensure you guys, I only filled out one ballot and I mailed it yesterday. So I'm pretty proud about that. Good. (laughs) (laughs) Vote early, not often. (laughs) It would be quite hilarious if uh, Ron confessed to voter fraud on the Chicago Maroon podcast. For all legal entities, this was not an admission of guilt. I didn't do it. (laughs) All right. Um, Segwaying away from some poll numbers. Basil, you've got a story on the Fair Tax Initiative, correct? Yes. So the Fair Tax Law, uh, which goes hand in hand with this election, because probably because this proposed amendment is going to be on the November 3 ballot for Illinois voters. Illinois voters are trying to decide whether to adopt an amendment to the state constitution that changed the 4.95% flat income tax with a progressive tax, meaning that residents with higher income would pay successively higher tax rates ranging from 475 to 7.99%. For almost 97% of the populace in Illinois, this would mean a tax cut, uh, but I guess for the remaining 3%, there will be a change in, in the tax rate. Here's what Governor Pritzker has to say about this issue. The best direction that we should go to deal with this is to make sure that we're asking those who are most able to step up to pay to do so. Those are the wealthiest in our state. So there are obviously two two sides to this. One is that this would mean, this would obviously help the the state's funds and, and, and help raise it because obviously the millionaires would be taxed more, particularly people who earn more than $250,000. But the other one is that, as I guess the, the, the most popular school of thought for not increasing tax rates is that people would be disincentivized in terms of earning more or trying to earn more, or there will be an exodus of wealthy people, uh, as we have seen in other states, which means that a lot of people who uh, earn more and also a lot of businesses would feel obligated to leave the state which means that they will be taking a lot of jobs along with them. But I guess since 97% of the people will benefit off of this, I think uh, there's a fair chance of this amendment being implemented. Yeah, I know some people who registered specifically in Illinois to vote for that amendment. So it's, it's, it's kind of a big deal. I'd be interested just to see how this plays out. I am registered as an Ohio voter. So unfortunately, this is not an issue that I am able to be voting on. But I obviously support everyone's right to go out and vote on issues that matter. So continue exercising your political <laughs> ability as a citizen of the United States. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not it's not a bad. I mean, it's not that big of a range. Also, it's only four point seven five to seven point nine nine percent. It's like if you earn tw- more than two hundred and fifty k then increasing your tax rate to 7.99% is not much considering how beneficial it would be to the state and as like as part of the society. But I, I guess people who are against this are just concerned that right now it's okay, but 
in the future, it might it might give more power to state politicians to increase it more than the 7.99% that is uh, proposed right now. And this is the main point of contention between the two biggest political parties in America. <laughs> yeah, uh, I definitely see yeah. a lot of talking about Biden's proposed tax plan. But of course, with the big one coming up, do your own research and get informed on each candidate's policies and platforms so we can have a successful election in November. And so that wraps up our coverage of some on-campus events concerning COVID and the presidential election. As always, thank you guys for listening. Music for the Maroon Monthly was produced in part by Aaron Sendon, Andrew Dietz, and Kenny Talbot LaVega. As always, I'm Isaac. I'm Ram. I'm Beza. And we will catch you next time. Later.